This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Talking Halos, Derek C. Apollo, all by my lonesome on this Friday night. I'm recording a, an, a late episode, pretty much, just to catch up, because the last few weeks here, getting after the new year, going back to work with after the knee injury, I have not been able to keep up with the content like you all deserve. So, with the big trade that's gone down, we're still waiting for all the approval, I wanted to make sure that I got those tour around the league interviews out to you, even if they're a little outdated now, provide some insight into all three of these teams and why they're doing what they're doing. So first up tonight, three teams. The Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox with Jake Devereaux from Locked On Red Sox, and then he moved on to a new new podcast. You can listen for that. And then also Jeff Steiner for Locked On Dodgers. And then finally, Brandon Ward. Brenner Warren from the Midwest Swing. All those things are coming your way. First things first, I cannot let you move forward one step in the show without reminding you that we have a big contest going on. We're getting closer and closer and closer to seeing the finish of it. That's right. We are sending two fans, two tickets, to opening day against those hated Houston Astros. You can go there and boom. You can go there and guess watch the Dodgers fans boom. All you got to do to be entered in is go to Apple Music. Leave a five-star review. It's got to be written. It's got to be written. Get a screenshot of it. Email it to TalkingHalos at gmail.com, and we'll enter you right in there. Again, that's TalkingHalos at gmail.com. And again, that's 100 five-star reviews. By the way, just want to be clear on this. If you don't think we deserve it, don't do it. If you want to give us some feedback on how to get better, we'd appreciate it. Send an email again to talkinghalos at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how to improve the show or how not to improve it. Okay, so moving on. First things first, Jake Devereaux here. Check it out with the Boston Red Sox. All right, folks, I'm with Jake Devereaux 
for the Boston Red Sox portion of our tour in the league. He did the Locked on Red Sox podcast last year. This year he's over over the monster right in there and also doing their podcast, the Red Seat podcast. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to uh, be back on your show this year. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, the way the Red Sox went last year from being defending World Series champs to a team that had a lot of issues. I have, I have plenty of questions for you, but I guess the first thing I want to ask you is what happened? Well, it really started with pitching. Um, that's the long and short of it is, um, you know, David Price was injured towards the end of the year. Chris Sale was injured for much of the year. Um, and without Chris Sale, that takes away one of their biggest weapons and, you know, one of the biggest strengths of the entire club. And uh, Nate Evaldi missed a ton of time, and we all know how important he was um, down the stretch run in 2018. And Rick Porcello um, was terrible uh, last year as well. He had an ERA of over five and a half. So uh, the only pitcher that actually pitched up to their potential was Eduardo Rodriguez. And when you have only one guy in your rotation pitching well, um, makes it pretty hard to succeed. So that's kind of why the Red Sox find themselves in third place behind the Yankees and the Rays. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of those question marks in the pitching staff still remain coming into this upcoming season. You hear all kinds of rumors about the Red Sox trying to make some moves below the salary, uh, the luxury cap threshold. What is going on there? What is the direction of this franchise right now? Well, uh, Heimblum, the new GM, um, that's obviously a big change uh, from Dave Dombrowski. Um, he has it as a goal to get under the first luxury tax threshold of $208 million. Um, right now, now they're in the low 230s, um, so they're going to have to move some money off the books if they want to make that happen. And he has stated recently that it's still a goal of his, so... Um, you know, there's a few ways that can be done, and one of them is moving David Price's contract, and one of them is moving Mookie Betts. Um, and the reason why both of those things are being talked about in conjunction lately, and the latest rumor was floated by J.P. Morosi um, that the Dodgers could potentially be interested in both of those players, is because um, you know, presumably, if you were to package Mookie Betts with David Price, the team might be willing to take on all of David Price's money, which would uh, get rid of considerable money, but it's pretty unclear now uh, exactly how hard the Red Sox are shopping Mookie Betts. It doesn't seem like they're shopping him all that hard. It seems like they'd they'd much prefer to move David Price's contract and you know pay some bit of that money. But um, the big reason why they're doing this is because the luxury tax implications uh, for getting under that first threshold this year are pretty substantial. And Alex Spear, writer for the Boston Globe. Uh, tweeted out and wrote about this but you know the club estimates it could save them up to 70 to 80 million dollars if they get under that this season so that's that's why it's a goal i'm hold on i'm trying to understand this he's 28 years old right he's uh, i don't even prime. think he's 28 yeah i think I he's mean, uh, still 27 yeah he's 27 so he's entering his age 27 season and he's probably okay. a top three player in baseball all right so why would teams even be bringing that name up right now? I would think the Red Sox, that's a core so for your future the next three or four years. Yeah. Um, the way that the Red Sox have explained it is they have made several overtures at Mookie Betts to get him signed and locked up um, to be part of this team's future. And those overtures have been met with um, a willingness uh, not to go to the, the negotiating table um, 
for Mookie Betts. He really wants to get to free agency, and it seems like there's nothing that the team can do to sway the player to um, even consider an extension. They've made uh, extension offers to Mookie Betts, and he's refused them. And, uh, you know, he's intent on playing out this year and then testing the market. And when that happens, the Red Sox have the same chance as everybody else in the league to sign him. And it's very likely that they won't be able to sign him. Um, so I think that's what the team's thinking is, you know, with the uncertainty in the pitching staff, um, if you trade him this year, you can get something for him, clear your salary, and then try and re-sign him in the offseason like everybody else because it seems like you're going to be in that boat anyways. Has there been any kind of word as to why he wouldn't want to sign an extension or wouldn't want to get himself locked into a long-term deal in Boston? Is there something going on he doesn't like Boston or he's just wanting to be a free agent, period, or is there somewhere else he has his eyes on? What's the deal? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. And uh, as you probably know, Mookie Betts' personality, he's not the most outspoken guy, so he's not that open about it. But a lot of people have guessed that uh, being that he's from Tennessee, that he maybe prefers a southern location, something like Atlanta or Houston or someplace like that. Um, But I think what it really comes down to is is the money. He believes that uh, given the ability to test the open market that he – might even be able to get a contract approaching the contract that uh, your your guy Mike Trout got. I think he thinks that he can get something close to that, certainly higher than the Harper deal. And uh, I think he believes the best way to do that and to drive up the prices, to have a bidding war for his services. And uh, if he signs a you know three hundred and fifty million dollar deal with the Red Sox, um, there's going to be no no bidding war. So I think he wants that and. Um, you know, he hasn't said publicly that he dislikes Boston or anything, and he's never really indicated that. But it is a little strange that he doesn't seem willing to do that since so many players, Xander Bogarts, Chris Sale, I mean, Rafael Devers, is rumors they've been talking to him about an extension. Uh, plenty of people have wanted to be here, so it is, it's a little surprising to me. It's surprising to me. I mean, Boston is a place where, where you can win World Series championships, and, I mean, to be the centerpiece of that would be a blessing in many ways, but these guys have used somewhere else. So let's just say the Red Sox right now are in a position where David Price is on the market. Mookie Betts, I would think they would be looking for prospects you know, to rebuild that farm system. Where are the odds you think these guys would have moved? Um, I would say the odds of David Price or Mookie Betts getting moved, I would put those odds at over 50%. Um, one of them getting moved, I think both of them getting moved is pretty slim. I think there's a much higher chance that David Price gets moved than Mookie Betts. Um, I'm just not sure that they're going to get the offer that they want um, for Mookie Betts. It's really difficult to pinpoint what fair value is for a player who could potentially be worth like as much as 10 wins um, as Mookie Betts was in 2018. It's, it's hard to get fair value for him, even if it is for one year. And then there's also the the large arbitration figure that's attached to Mookie Betts, I mean, he's probably going to make between 27 and $30 million. So a team has to be able to absorb that and want to pay the prospect capital to get one year of services for him. And, you know, teams that are, are often floated, teams that could use his services like the Dodgers, they've been reticent to really add um, that final big piece to push them over the uh, – the championship hill there the Dodgers seem content to win 100 games and lose in the playoffs every season so 
Um, until teams like that are willing to pony up, I'm not sure that he's going to be moved. But I feel confident something is going to happen before uh, spring training for these guys. There has been some some rumor on our side here on the Angels side that the Angels would be willing to go after Price if the Red Sox will eat some of that. Um, is there are there any players in the Angels roster or in their minor right now that would interest the Red Sox? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a really good fit, actually. Um, the the Dodgers, I mean, the uh, Angels, because um, David Price can come come right in and fit into that staff. And I think you guys need one more, you know, sure thing pitcher. Um, they wouldn't be looking for any big names for Price. I don't think you'd be getting a Joe Adele or a Marsh or Marsh or anything like that. Maybe something like a Jemai Jones or a Patrick Sandoval or, or some type of player like that, uh, lower-level guy, and then the Red Sox would probably eat at least uh, $10 or $11 million a year of that $32 million that he's owed, um, basically making him a $20 million-a-year pitcher, which I think is what a guy like Price would probably get if he was a free agent on the market right now. Um, and I think the Red Sox would be fine with that because they do have a need at second base, and you know, Jemai Jones or Jeremiah Jackson or someone like that could be a, a good... Um, a good fit for the Red Sox going forward. Jeremiah Jackson is a, a name we're hearing a lot of over here in terms of somebody who's probably not long for an Angels uniform. A lot of the Angels have a lot of middle infielders as it is, and he seems like a guy that would be a good move for somebody. We are wondering, you know, it was even brought up the idea of going out there and getting bets as well. I don't see that happening now with Rendon under contract with the Angels. Now, going to the Red Sox themselves, you mention the pitching staff what is the story of the Red Sox pitching staff this year and is there any help anywhere in the minors right now well uh, the state of it is that Chris Sale apparently is healthy that's a, a huge thing um, David Price is also reportedly starting to throw uh, after having the uh, cyst removed from his wrist so um, having Sale and David Price have some semblance of a normal offseason is pretty good they also went out and signed Martin Perez um, who wasn't impressive last year, but has discovered a pitch in his cutter that, you know, seems to be getting some pretty great results. So potentially they have something there. But really, in the minor leagues, they don't have anything that's tremendously close, and certainly nothing that's super impact right now. They have guys on the the forty man roster: uh, Ryan Weber, Denny Reyes, Kyle Hart. I mean, these are guys that are not who you want uh, to be filling in for any period of time. Then the only real prospect that they have in the upper minors, I think, that could potentially be something in the rotation is Brian Mata. Um, Tanner Houck is potential, but he might be a bullpen piece. Um, but Brian Mata is still just 20 years old. So I, I really don't think that they're going to have much help um, internally, especially not exciting help. Gotcha. Now the lineup itself, how's it looking for this year? Lineup's awesome, um, you know. Provided they have Mookie Betts, and even if they didn't have Mookie Betts, I think this would still be one of the better lineups in baseball. If Devers and Bogarts and JD Martinez returning, I mean that that top three alone is very impressive. And then Andrew Benintendi is still only twenty five years old. I expect him to have a much better year. Um, Michael Chavis is likely to get. A lot more time at first base this year. He's got a lot of work to do with hitting the high fastball. Um, but, you know, if he can figure that out a little bit, he could be a really dangerous hitter. 
Christian Vasquez broke out last year. And then uh, you have the limitations of Jackie Bradley Jr. and uh, Jose Peraza. But overall, I mean, it's a very powerful lineup and one that I think even with without bets could be, uh, uh, you know, one of the better top five lineup in uh, in baseball. Anyhow, top five lineup pitching concerns. If everything turns out rosy here, where does this Red Sox team finish? If everything breaks for them, if they get health, um, this is a second-place team to the Yankees. Uh, I think they could surpass the Rays for sure. Um, I think they have potential to to win over 90 games, uh, maybe like a 92 to 94 win club if everything goes perfectly. They certainly lack the ceiling of the Yankees. Uh, I don't think they're quite as good as maybe Houston. Well, Houston's got some question marks, but Houston or, or Oakland I think are – Probably a little bit better than them, even in their best outcomes. But, you know, you're looking at a team that's um, a playoff team if, if, if they have health, uh, even with all the, the potential changes. I mean, we're talking about a roster here that's not all that different from the one that went out and won 108 games and then the World Series in 2018. So there's a lot of reasons to still like the club. Sure, not all that different. But then what's the issue? Because at 108 games, 84 last year, injuries, what makes them a 92-94 win team now if they're not that different? What's the big thing that's changed in the team dynamic? Uh, I just think there's a few more question marks. Um, you know, The question mark with Michael Chavis at first base, whether or not Betts is going to be there the whole year. Um, Jose Peraza at second base is just not a very good hitter. Um, I think there's just fewer... Less room for error, I would say. And then also when you look at the bullpen, that's something that they definitely struggled with last year as well, and they haven't had any answers in that department. They're relying on Brandon Workman to repeat his excellent season as closer. Um, Matt Barnes and Josh Taylor as setup guys. Um, When they won 108 games, they had Craig Kimbrell uh, back there, and they also had Joe Kelly, who pitched most innings on the team that season uh, out of the bullpen. So. They still haven't filled in the gaps that they lost in the bullpen after 2018. So I just think that this team is operating on much finer margins than it was when they had a little bit more depth uh, in 2018. That's the big difference to me. Gotcha. So, all right. Can you let folks know where they can find you, your work, all that jazz? Sure. Um, you can find my Red Sox podcast. It's a SB Nation podcast at OverTheMonster.com. And the, the podcast is called the Over the Monster Podcast or the Red Seat. Um, so you can find that on any of your podcasting platforms. Then you can find me on Twitter at, at DevJake. Um, and uh, you can look for my tweets there. All right. Thanks a lot so much for, for getting in with us. And maybe, yes, maybe we'll be seeing that trade that you just mentioned, David Price or whatever. A lot of fans on this side aren't fond of it, but... You know the Angels were interested, so I guess we'll see. All right. Well, you'll have to have me back on if they uh, if they make a deal. Yeah, I will. I'll be. Hey, come <laughs> on. Talk about David Price. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Okay. All right. So you get a little bit of the Red Sox mentality. Even so, at the time, Jake thought this team could be a ninety-ish win team, compete a little bit. I'm not so sure now. The Red Sox are still talented, even without Mookie Betts. If this trade does go through, which is expected to go through tonight, then um, I guess we'll have a different story to tell you about the Red Sox. But again, get to give you a look into their mentality. Moving on, we have our second team, 
as part of this three-team triangle of the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins are Brandon Warren from the Midwest Swing Podcast. Always a great interview. Always good of information. They they had some issues with pitching. Brandon knows that. Take a look. Here we go. All right, folks. I'm here with Brandon Warren from the zone from Minnesota Zone coverage, i.e., the Midwest Swing Podcast. He's done a great job over there covering the Twins the last couple of years here, and we're glad to have him back on the show. Brandon, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. Hopefully, you're doing well too. Well, doing just dandy. It's a different year. Last time we talked, your team was just kicking the crap out of ours out here, and and it's a looking <laughs> a, it's looking a little bit different this year on our end. And and I'm very curious what's going on with the Twins. So first things first, how do these 2020 Twins look at least right now? Well, I would say if it was like a school project, it'd be incomplete because the writing is on the wall that they're not done yet, that they still want to make an impact move. I have no idea what that looks like if it's not signing Josh Donaldson, which certainly, you know, there's not much clarity there. There was a time where it looked like they had a fairly good chance. There's a time where there was some pessimism, and now it seems to be a complete wild card again. And so we'll see what happens there, and if if that doesn't happen, then it probably comes down to making a trade for maybe a, a bigger caliber starting pitcher to kind of fill out that rotation, help them while Michael Pineda is suspended and Rich Hill's hurt. Or maybe they find that corner infielder that allows them to either move Miguel Sano over to first base or pick up a first baseman. That's And that's Miguel Sano, recipient of a new contract extension. So they're making moves here or there. They've made some small moves, Alex Avila. Tyler Clippard, Sergio Romo, a lot of interesting moves that way. Rich Hill, Homer Bailey, that sort of thing. But it's like if you got whipped cream, but you don't have, you know, a pie underneath it. You need to get that pie before you can kind of finish off the dessert, and that's kind of where they're at right now. Which is a little similar to our side over here. So I'm going to kind of just play the parallel here for the Angels over yeah. here. Uh, we have a need for pitching. We need one more guy, we think, at least. We, we've done a lot of the kind of the picking like you, you guys have done. You went and got Rich Hill, and you went and got some guys who are are short-timers and don't have that corner so starting pitcher. We did get our corner infielder in Rendon. Yep. That was the same weakness you guys had, and you're hoping to get Donaldson there. On our end, there's a fear that the Angels won't get that deal made, that they will not find their trade for that starting pitcher they need because the freedoms now aren't going to be it. What happens with the Twins if they don't get their deal? That would be a significant disappointment. I think when I look at the Angels with how much talent they've added and money they've added, I think, yeah, it would be a disappointment, but at the same time, they've done so much to alter the landscape of that team with just Rendon alone, you know, Julio Tehran. Obviously, hopefully we'll do some good things for them. And I think Jason Castro as a defensive catcher will be a, you know, a nice pickup as well. But when I look at the Twins, it's all supporting cast members. Rich Hill, if he's healthy for October, that's a big get for you. But you have to get to October 1st. got to ward off the Cleveland Indians who aren't going away as quietly as people might think. And obviously the Chicago White Sox are charging pretty hard. Now, the Twins did win 101 games last year. There is going to be some regression because... Some of those games they beat up Chicago in are going to go the other way. And, you know, Detroit and Kansas City probably aren't going to be quite as bad as last year, but who knows. But they still need that, that finishing move. And if that doesn't happen, this offseason goes from one of hope and belief that this team can take the next step to disappointment. 
And I think that they, they being the front office, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, know that they have to get something done. I, I don't think they are in a spot where they can take no for an answer because the expectation levels are that high after such a good year last year that the reason they felt they came up short, again, wasn't necessarily offense, although the offense kind of tied down in October, was they just needed some more star power, more more so on the pitching staff. But, you know, they've made additions to shore that up a little bit. Their bullpen was a lot better than people think. So if you go out and get another superstar hitter, maybe you just bash teams in the head 10-8 in October, which is certainly possible as well. But I think they just realized that they're pretty close talent-wise. They've got some young guys who are going to get better, they hope. But adding more impact talent is never going to hurt anything. And they don't have much in the way of payroll implications moving forward. So they've got the flexibility to get something done. So it just it becomes a matter of is it a trade, is it a signing, is it getting creative, what will it be exactly? Their payroll right now sits at corner spot track, $104.9 million. Now, that's you're not going to, be able to compete with the Yankees or the Dodgers or even the Angels right now payroll-wise, at least we think. Where can the Twins go in order to add salary on the table to be able to make some things happen for them? You mean in terms of like what's a viable salary range for them to get to or what players specifically will they make additions? Because I think... I'd say both. As far as, well, as far as the value I think they could get to, they should be comfortable in that 130 to 140 range pretty easily. They ended, I want to say two years ago, maybe even over 140 years, high 130s, based on what Cots at Baseball Prospectus says. And they banked a lot of extra money during the low 2013-2014 periods where I think their payroll got back into the 80s after they'd been up over 100 for the first two seasons at Target Field. And I understood it then. It didn't make sense to add money to a team that was going to lose anywhere from 85 to 95 games. But now you've got that goodwill banked up and that money banked up. You can push it to 150. And I know it's it's going to be a gradual rise. These guys are keeping their eye on the prize and not wanting to add all this payroll once. So you end up like the Padres who have Will Myers coming due with a big payroll or, uh, contract bump this coming season. And even Manny Machado's deal has a bump in it. And, you know, a few other guys like that. They want to build the payroll slowly and organically and have it creep up as they develop good players. But I think that it's not unreasonable to expect them to touch 150 if the right player comes around, if that's Josh Donaldson, if that's a trade for, I mean, Nolan Nolan Arenado would have to waive his no-trade clause, but Chris Bryant, those are the kind of guys you'd want to go after. Those are the kind of guys who are the difference makers. They are the guys you don't have already. You've got some decent prospects who could become a a fairly good player. You know, Josh Donaldson wasn't a big-time prospect, so maybe you could eventually create your own Josh Donaldson, but at this point, what you're truly lacking right now is a fully developed and actualized Josh Donaldson with the payroll ability to go out and get them and stretch your budget from 130 to maybe 140 or 150. So I think 150 is where they need to be, and I really think it is either finding that superstar corner infielder or even that starting pitcher that's making maybe $10, $12 million in their last year of arbitration, like a Robbie Ray, mm-hmm. or if you find a guy you really like who's maybe a little on the cheaper side but is going to grow into that trajectory like a Matt Boyd or I really like Caleb Smith from the Marlins but he's not quite in that bucket yet so there's still lots of options I mean could they go get a David Price I certainly think that could be an option too but 
uh, there's just it's such a wide open field. And the biggest thing is we haven't seen Falvey and Levine make a move like this, so we don't really have a blueprint for what they're going to do. Like Terry Ryan before them was very conservative, and his big moves usually were around prospects for young players. You know, Matt Gar is the deal for Delman Young, that sort of thing. He never really went for the big deal. So until we see this new brass do that, it's kind of hard for us to envision a path, if that makes sense. So with all that in mind, is you know, there's these different pieces here, mm-hmm. and you have a long season coming up. How does the how does the minor league system work right now? Is it how deep is it that can help get you to that next point, not just for this year but for next year? Yeah, it's they're in a good spot because the big league team in a lot of spots is is pretty young. The free agents they've been adding, they've been doing a lot of like one year, two year deals where their payroll can kind of reset every single year, and that kind of means that they're a support system. You know, Sergio Romo, great clubhouse guy, Nelson Cruz, great clubhouse guy to help kind of build up these young guys. But it, I, I guess, I don't want to put this. I just, I think they're in a good position to keep adding. I just, I, I, I think that with the farm system too, they can supplement through trades. But the, they're, they're, okay, so what I was saying was the, the, they're in a good spot roster-wise because of their age in big leagues, but then they've got some close-to-ready prospects. Your Trevor Larnix, your Alex Kirilovs, Royce Lewis is not terribly far off. Bruzar Gratterall debuted last year. And if you can drop those guys into an ecosystem of winning or competing with good veteran leadership, I really think that's a, a much easier way to develop guys than to drop them into the Twins five years ago where they're expected to find their own way and succeed in the big leagues from the jump, like an Aaron Hicks and even a Byron Buxton early in his career. You know, some struggles there too. So I think they're in a really good spot to either weather the storm with the vets they have now and kind of bring some of these kids along or part it out a little bit and find a, a big league talent they really like, again, like a Robbie Ray, a John Gray, if the Rockies were to ever decide to trade him, that sort of thing. So they're in a good spot. They've got payroll flexibility, a smart front office, good prospects, a young roster. It's, it's a good place to be. Now this year, it's not just the Indians. It's the White Sox coming up. And we've seen it before, though. We've seen teams go out there and spend – Tons of money. No one saw it this year for the White Sox coming. No one really ever had seen them spend any money. How does this division look like it's shaking out to you? I think the Twins are still the favorite in the clubhouse. You know, obviously, Cleveland has a pretty nice top of the rotation with Bieber and, and Clevenger, and, you know, depending on what Carrasco can give them. I like Savali. I like Plesak. I think one through five, that's pretty solid, but. They're they're not going to score many runs. I just don't trust their offense. And their bullpen overachieved last year, in my opinion, and they lost Tyler Clippard, who, as luck would have it, is now a twin. When I look at the White Sox, I still have questions I need answered. And I saw they signed Steve Ciszek, so that's a step in the right direction. I still don't know if they can get anybody out in the last three innings of the game. You know, Jace Fry is interesting. Alex Colum is pretty good, but they've got a lot of wild cards out there. If if Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez pitch like four and five starters instead of two and three like they've been signed to be. I think that's a question mark because they've got some kids, you know, Dane Dunning and Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease, who they all want to bring along and, and you know, can make a difference at some point. That's putting an awful lot on them to expect any of them to throw 150 innings with big, big strikeout numbers and good numbers. I mean, Lucas Giolito, for instance, took a long time to come around. And then offensively, first of all, how will the kids acclimate? You know, is this the year that, 
Eloy Jimenez takes a big step forward. You know, Luis Robert, Robert actually is going to take some time to come along. Is he going to be really good right away? I think Nick Madrigal, once he gets to the big league, should be pretty well big league ready. But, you know, they're going to have to weather some storms there. I don't know how they're going to get on base, but that was a question the Twins had a year ago, too. So maybe that won't be a big deal. But I think they have just enough questions where they could win 75 games or they could win 95 games. And neither one would really surprise me. That's the kind of volatility they have. Maybe the most volatile team from a wins total standpoint. So I still think the Twins are in a good spot. I still think that Cleveland and Chicago are kind of jockeying for that second spot. And then obviously the back end is pretty bleak with uh, with Detroit and Kansas City kind of stocking, stocking up on draft picks and cheap free agents and that sort of thing. So it's a pretty big divide between teams 2-3 and teams 4-5, but the gap between 1 and 2-3 and and I think is a lot more narrow. Now let's just say the Twins are 1, and there's always that nemesis out there in New York. There's the rest of the AL East there. There's the Houston Astros. Where mm-hmm. are the Twins right now in the overall American echelon hi- hierarchy? Mm-hmm. I think you could make a case for third or fourth probably i think you've really got to like depending on the discipline houston gets handed down i know jeff passon hinted that could happen i think houston and new york are pretty comfortably one two and i think you could make a case for either one of them at one and two i think the twins and and feel free to call me out if i'm wrong i think the twins and the a's are kind of in that three four mix and then i think you get into the angels Red Sox, and then depending on how you feel about Cleveland and Chicago in that next tier. So I think I think it's the first tier is the top two teams. I think the Yankees and the Astros are right there. Um, and then I think you can make a case for any of Boston, Oakland, Minnesota, Chicago, Angels, and Cleveland for that three through six spot. <clears throat> I think Minnesota would be number probably number three for me with Oakland four, but I could hear compelling cases either way. And then you go, yeah, Chicago, Cleveland, LA. Um, and then it's just kind of everyone else. Toronto. Uh, I don't know. I think they could make a little more noise if their pitching comes along, but I think they're a little ways off yet. Oh, Tampa. I'm forgetting Tampa. That's what I'm missing. I think Tampa's maybe Oakland and Tampa to, to me are kind of interchangeable. So maybe Oakland, Tampa, Minnesota, and that three, four, five, and then L.A., Chicago, and Cleveland in that next bunch. I, I don't know. Is that pretty close to what you're thinking, or am I a little off there? I think you're. I think I was waiting for you to say Tampa Bay, and I was going to say something. And I'm just sitting there thinking about, you know, even to me, Tampa's Tampa's deep. Their farm system's deep. I just don't know if they can. A lot of what happened last year was based off of guys playing to their tops, in my opinion. So I'm wondering if Tampa can. <laughs> Yeah, I think you can make a case for Tampa anywhere from three to maybe nine, which is, you know, that's a bucket where, you again, you have the Twins, you have the Angels, you have the all these teams that I've mentioned. And so I think that, you know, there's a compelling case. I can't believe I almost forgot Tampa, but that's where the Twins got their manager after all. There's a, there's a compelling case for Tampa in that mix. Uh, Oakland, yeah, Minnesota. So it, there's going to be some pretty good teams sitting at home next October. Uh, I know things will happen. Maybe Mike Trout becomes even better. For your case, I, I don't think that's really possible. But, yeah, we'll see what happens. But so far, I think that right now there's probably a, a compelling case for seven, eight, maybe nine pretty good AL teams next year, which is certainly good for baseball. 
Well, I think that the Angels will have a better trout this year because he's got protection. People don't realize that yeah. he hasn't had very good protection over the last G three or four years. But if they get that pitcher, the same thing you're talking about, everything mm-hmm. changes for them. It also do they have the assets for it, though? They do, depending on what team wants, and that's what we keep waiting to see. Who well, do they want? Yeah, you, you don't want to, you don't want to trade Jordan Adele, but maybe yeah, maybe Brandon Marsh gets you somebody or or something like that. It's it's an interesting thought. I know Marsh's name came up in discussions. Was that with Cleveland or Clevenger? Is that Marsh? Well, Adele came up. Quickly. Marsh came up. Everybody's coming. Th- those two are coming up. But the the thing is, the Angels actually have plans for both. So they're trying to yeah. you know. And you definitely you're not going to give up Adele for a rental at this point. If you're going to give up Adele, you're going to go for a controlled pitcher. I'm sure you guys are in the same situation with your prospect. You're not going to give your best prospect well, out. Mar- Marsh for, was Boyd. That's what it was. Marsh and Boyd was the discussion. I think. I yeah, heard. yeah. Marsh and Boyd for the, the Tigers, and I think at some point a deal will probably get done. But we're we're pretty much. On our end, saying okay, we could probably expect at least one of the next tier guys like a Jeremiah Jackson or a Jordan Asie gone, and yeah. probably Brandon Marsh. But the Angels have plans here, and they're to me it's pretty clear laid out. Alberts, they're going to be pulling his time his time back. We're going to start seeing Upton going the DH more, or maybe moving to first mm-hmm. base. Marsh goes in the left field. Jordan's out there in right field, and I mean Joe's out there, and there's your outfield, and it's well, a young outfield. Well, the big thing too is that with how much Trout's going to make and Rendon and whatever Pujols deal is up, you're going to want some of those guys making five hundred thousand a year, filling some roster spots mm-hmm. capably too. You know, you can't can't pay everybody ten plus fifteen plus million. So keeping some of those kids around is going to be important too. So I think it's a good yeah. I think it's a good point. So yeah, and that's the argument I've been making for the Angels. They only have so many bullets in the chamber, so they have to find the yeah. right deal. They can't just send somebody out. They have prospects. Mm-hmm. They're actually the, the system is deeper than people think it is, but it's not balanced. Like they don't have a whole ton of pitching. They have virtually no catching. So mm-hmm. you have to pick and choose where you're going to go. I think they'll get something done. I just don't know when. It seems to me like on you guys' side, the Twins, you have more to play with, uh, and. Mm-hmm. It means to me, I think you're more likely to get that deal done. I think last time I looked, they were like 13 deep with 50 greater, better prospects, which is quite impressive. And so for people listening that don't know that, I mean, it's on the 20 to 80 scale and 50 is basically a, I guess you'd consider a pretty good prospect, a big league regular at the, um, the is their expectation. So the Twins have some, some really good prospects and, it's just a matter of finding fits and what other people want or what other teams want. And if, if it's someone the twins are willing to give up, obviously the top two guys are going to be difficult to get, you know, the twins have their Jordan Adele would be Royce Lewis, obviously not having as good of a year, but they came out the same year from the same state. And I think Adele was, what pick was Adele? I know Royce was one and Adele was in the top 10 for sure. So a lot of talent coming out of California, but that's kind of the guy the twins would prefer not to move. So you start looking at numbers three through ten. It's still a pretty good system, but they still might have to get creative to get somebody who's truly an impact starter, unless it's someone they want to coach up. Which I mean, they could do that too, but fans aren't going to like that. They want instant gratification. And honestly, it's been a you know it's been a while for Twins 
to win a World Series. This is a franchise yep. that has been through a lot of lumps. I can't blame fans for getting anxious. So, I mean, it just you're close, right? You you know you're getting you're in that echelon. You don't know how long how many times you're gonna get that shot. Yeah, the only problem is that they were so bad for so long that you know there was none of this. Hey, we're good again. It was right back to, well, you didn't win a World Series. Not good enough. And it's like. What did you forget this entire last decade when they were losing ninety games almost every year? I mean, you got to kind of reset your expectations, don't you? So that was frustrating for me as kind of a media member was like trying to ra- rationalize and reason with people after the team wins one hundred one games. Like, yes, this was still a successful season. No, they didn't win a playoff game. No, they didn't win a series. No, they didn't win the World Series. But this was still a wildly successful season, and the first of what they hope to be a string of who knows. Four, five, six of them at the very least. You know what's really funny you saying that in the fan citations because on our side, at this point, we would just take one playoff win because Mike Trout has never. Well, so the <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just Mike Trout has never been in a playoff win. Did you so know Joe like, Mauer never played in a playoff win? Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, that. no, I don't. I don't think people realize that, but he never played in a playoff win because his rookie year was 2004. And that was the last year the Twins won a playoff game, and he was hurt. He tore his meniscus that year, and so he he didn't play in the postseason. Well, that is a piece of baseball history I did not know. <laughs> yeah, he was like and 10 or something like that in the playoffs. It's unbelievable. When, for Trout, it's 0-3, one sweep out. He's gone. That was no, the team that... That was a team they thought that was going to go all the way, and then Kansas City just destroyed them. So, well, let's hope it doesn't come to that for Trout. Well, I just want to see the guy win. Just, just give him a win. Just one win now, I'll, I'll, and then we we'll move yeah, through right. a series. You know, right? So, yeah, Brandon, exactly. can you tell? Can you tell folks where they can find where they can find you on social media? You have you done a great job with all your work out there. You're always accessible. Please tell folks where they can find you. At Brandon underscore W A R N E on Twitter. At Zone Coverage, MN is our handle for Zone Coverage. And at Midwest Swing Pod is where my podcast is. Those are the three handles where I'm at most. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, and I look forward to talking in season. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. So, with this trade going through here, the Twins will have in the last couple weeks added two pitchers, I believe. Uh, two guys who will make a difference, possibly in that lineup. I'm not sure how much of a difference Kenta Maeda will make, but it was a shaky starting five, and Brendan noticed that he had made it clear that he was a bit concerned compared to last year, that team just knocked the cover off the ball, and then towards the end, now he's got some concerns there as well. Pitching for the Twins will be key. The Indians have it. The the White Sox are really improved, and they may be hearing rumors about a possible trade there as well. Um, they're being mentioned across the interwebs for Nolan Arenado. I don't know about that. I guess we'll find out shortly. But the Twins got to do stuff to stay in it. So there you go. Finally, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we're going to have Jeff Snyder on the show this weekend when we record a whole breakdown involving the Angels side of this trade. But we talked to him a couple weeks ago as well. We wanted to get his views on where the Dodgers were and where they were actually going as they entered into spring training, and now there's more to it. So here's Jeff Snyder from Locked On Dodgers. 
All right, folks, we're here with Jeff Snyder from Locked On Dodgers, one of our return guests, great guy to talk some baseball with, also runs Baseball Essential. Is that, did I get that right? Is that Baseball Essential? BaseballEssential.com, yep. All right, so i got to ask you about that later. I didn't see that last time we talked, so is that new? Uh, no, it's uh, it's been around five or six years, and I've been mostly running it. Actually, I guess it's been around for about seven years. I've been running it for about five, so... Oh, I was going to ask about it later, but might as well get it now. What is it? It's just a, just a website. Uh, we have about 20 or 30 guys who write about baseball for us, just with just general baseball news, opinion, analysis stuff. Um, yeah, it's just a fun little site. So, I mean, like, just is it from a fan perspective, or is it an analyst perspective? It's, uh, it's kind of a mix. Um, depends on the writer. It's kind of – we kind of give our writers freedom to – to write about whatever they want to write about and from whatever angle. And so uh, it's probably more, uh, yeah, it's probably a, a good mix of fan and analysis. And, you know, my, kind of my big thing that I, that I tell the writers is uh, until you are a big name, no, the only opinions anybody cares about are the ones you can back up. So uh, we try not to do too much. I think this, because until you are actually famous, nobody cares what you think. And so, Try to focus on if you have an opinion, make sure you can back it up and write about it. So, and the truth is, anymore, even if you are famous, most people don't care about what you think, anyways. Yeah, that's I mean, true, too. I mean, there's because we've had such bad takes in sports media in the last couple of years, even the ones that you would normally listen to, you don't want to listen to anymore. You got to be yeah. informed, you definitely have to be informed. Well, you're here for the Dodgers and our tour run the league, and normally. In this, we want to hear about the 2020 Dodgers and where you're going, and we do want to hear about that. But in the last few days, we've had more and more about the Astros scandal breaking, and we've seen the whole thing falling apart down there in terms of penalties going out, and Hinch is fired, and their GM is fired. And I'm still wondering why on earth they couldn't they couldn't suspend players too. They should, have, in my view. And then the Red Sox get busted as well, and you see that mess out there, core. And then just recently now, Beltron. Hadn't even managed a game yet for the Mets, and he's gone. So the team that really get impact, gets impacted the most here is the Dodgers. And even we saw a player yesterday, Logan Morrison, coming out and saying the Dodgers were cheating. And, of course, it's one person. Give us your take on this whole thing, man, because I've been waiting for your thoughts. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of thoughts, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I, I guess, first of all, about the players not getting suspended, it, it sucks. But it also, I, I think it was... I, I won't say the only way. I'm not willing to give Rob Manfred enough credit to say he did everything as well as he could have, but I don't think they would have gotten to the bottom of what happened as quickly as they did without promising the players immunity in exchange for telling the truth. Uh, kind of what I'm hoping is that some of these newer allegations about the buzzers and stuff end up being true and that Manfred can then say, uh, dude, you didn't tell the truth or you left some stuff out, so you're suspended anyway. And they'll find a way around those immunity deals they struck with the, the players because, uh, you know, I, I think Manfred's goal was to to take it on from the top of an organization because the fact is, if A.J. Hinch had had the, the guts to actually do his job as a manager, you know, if he really did think it was wrong like he claims to have, uh, if he had the guts, he could have stopped it. You know, you're the manager. Literally, you are in charge. And so, but there is evidence players, that he tried to stop it. I mean, they did well, note that he destroyed to monitor and so on and so forth. 
from what I could tell, he passive aggressively destroyed some monitors. With no, it, I don't even know for sure if anybody knew it was him that did it. And, and you know, the fact is, I, it seems to me like he thought, oh, if I break this TV, then maybe they'll just stop using it. And no, they'll buy a new TV. You know, and I, I think he thought he could just put his hands over his eyes and his hands plug his ears and say, I don't see anything or hear anything. I'm just, I'm just here, kind of like with Matt Williams when. On one end of the dugout, Jonathan Papelbon's choking out Bryce Harper. And on the other hand, and Matt Williams has no idea what's going on. I think that's kind of what AJ Hinch was going for. But fact is, he knew about it, and he could have, instead of being passive aggressive and and secretly trying to sabotage it, he could have said, "Guys, I'm the boss. Knock it off. We're going to do this right." And he didn't. And so, uh, I I think Manfred's goal was to say next time a manager is in that situation he will understand that if he doesn't do his job he's going to be out of baseball and and you know it, it will stop it at least on a team-wide scale it won't stop individual players from doing things because individuals can do things without the manager knowing but a team can't do something without the manager knowing and that's what i think they were, what they're trying to stop you know the but then the question becomes that's the de- the deterrent side of things, but what about the punitive side of things? You know, they deserve to be punished. You know, and like, you know, I, I don't know what the right answer is, but I can't think of any punishment that I can think of that would be too harsh. I mean, if they said, Bregman, you're suspended for a year. Altuve, you're suspended for a year. World Series is stripped. Altuve, you didn't win the MVP award. Aaron Judge did. I'd be, yeah, cool. Not not a problem. Uh. You know, I, I think Alex Cora is probably going to end up banned for life since he did it with two different teams and was the mastermind in Houston. I mean, if Hinch got suspended a year just for for not doing his job and not putting a stop to it, Cora has got to get a lot more than that since he was the one who actually did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, so. Here's my thing, though, okay? The league warned the teams in 2017. They were warned. So, at this point, in my view, anything's fair game. I don't see how the players should be getting immunity out of this whole thing when they're the ones at the core who are doing it. So, what, they can rear the front office? Nah, man. I mean, you, are we sure they were given immunity? What's I, the deal? I, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I can't think of it. I mean... They talked to players, and, and there were reports even before the, the official report came out that they were focusing on management and that they were telling the, the players in exchange for their honesty they wouldn't be punished. Uh, I, I don't know if that was the right approach, but, I mean, otherwise, I mean, Mike Fires was the only person willing to put his name on anything uh, before that. And so I think it would have been really hard to really get to the bottom of what happened. They Especially, you know... I think there's another part of it that I don't think Manfred really wanted to have to suspend, you know, 15 guys on one team uh, because that would, you know, that that would punish the fans who didn't do anything wrong. Other than, uh, I, I'm not even comfortable saying Astro fans didn't do anything wrong. The ones on Twitter, for sure, terrible people. But uh, we found but, that out know, last year, by the way. The fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a lot of different ways. Um, and so, you know, I think he didn't want to have to suspend 15 players. And, and even the warning that he gave in 2017 that you mentioned, it specifically said, uh, we're going to come down hard on the management if it happens again. 
Um, it was he, he's always kind of been focused on the top down thing. You know, Jeff Lunau should have known, probably did know, claims he didn't know, but he's been a liar for his whole life. So, uh, you know, it, he he knew and didn't do anything, and so Lunau's probably never getting a job in baseball again. Hinch will probably never be a manager again, and you know, I, I think they're just hoping that'll be enough. But yeah, it, it the the most frustrating part is it takes away our ability to know because we Dodger fans can't even say we should have won the World Series because it should have been us against the Yankees in the World Series, unless we find out the Yankees were cheating too, you know. But it shouldn't have been the Dodgers against the Astros. It should have been the Dodgers against the Yankees, and. You know, so the Yankees, you know, we saw CC Sabathia went on the radio and saying that they got got the World Series stolen from them. And, you know, they don't have quite as strong a claim as Dodger fans do, but but the real tragedy is that we will never know. It never got a chance to play out fairly because the Astros are cheating cheaters. Well, Altuve wearing a wire in the World Series or more in that series, the championship series, would probably, uh, that would probably be pretty good evidence for the Yankees. Here's my here's my question overall though. I mentioned to you Logan Morrison mentioning both the Yankees and the Dodgers also as cheaters in this whole process. He's saying they're cheating too. What do you have to say to that? Um I think <laughs> what we know of Logan Morrison, I'm not convinced that he has the brain power to tell the difference between legal sign stealing and illegal sign stealing. <laughs> you know, I have no doubt that the Dodgers do everything they can to steal signs. But there's no evidence that they've done the illegal things. You know, stealing signs is absolutely legal, and it's been a part of baseball for as long as baseball has had signs. But you steal signs by, you know, doing it from the field, and and that's where the Astros cross the line. And it's not some gray area. But a lot of people on Twitter seem to think it's a gray area. Well, everybody does it. Everybody's been stealing. It's been a part of baseball. Yeah. But this is different. This was clearly against the rules. Clearly, a departure from what people have been doing for hundreds of years, and I'm not convinced that Logan Morrison is smart enough to know the difference between those things. So, uh, that that's my best guess at this point. He has kind of a history of not being the brightest bulb in the box. So, uh, I'd need a lot more than Logan Morrison's word to before I believe that the sky is blue. The sky is blue. Uh, but if, <laughs> now that you've told me, I believe it. If it was just Logan Morrison telling me, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I look at the situation and think, in some cases right now, something's hanging in the air for the Angels, as as we're still going through the whole Skaggs thing. I don't really feel like I can judge too much because, man, we could find out in a couple of months that there was a lot more bad things going on than are even thought to be. I don't believe that, but that can come out that way. It's hard for me to put the judgment, you know, the judgment hat on. On the same token, it's pretty freaking clear by what Major League Baseball said in 2017. You don't do this. You don't hear them coming out every year and saying, hey, uh, you shouldn't be trying to steal signs overall because you know they're going to do it. They're, that's part of the, you know, base runners are looking inside at home plate. You know, they're trying to figure things out. You know, they're, they're watching the third base coaches and what, what they're, they're being observant. So, of course, you're trying. Crossing the line was actually detailed by Major League Baseball. So, at that point, I mean, there's one thing that is gray area in terms of you watching them from second base, and there's the one that's been outlined as breaking the rules, and that's what Major League Baseball did. So 
Do you think with all this going down now, this is over and done with? And what should Major League Baseball do about those series that the Dodgers lost? We are hearing some Dodgers fans saying they should just be gifted the World Series titles. I don't think I agree with that, but what do you think? No, I definitely don't agree with that. I mean, they, it wouldn't do any good. There would be no satisfaction. The satisfaction in your team winning the World Series is watching it happen, celebrating it in the moment, having a parade, all those things. That was stolen from somebody in 2017, whether it was the Dodgers or the Yankees or whoever else. Somebody had that stolen from the Chiefs. And it wouldn't do any good to say, okay, Dodgers, you actually won the World Series in 2017 and 2018 because the Red Sox cheated because you, you don't get any of that joy. And, you know, so I don't think any uh, – Maybe I'm I'm projecting too much. Uh, nobody I know among Dodger fans actually wants that to happen. I know some of the members of the LA City Council do, but uh, if there's one thing I know about politicians, they're good at pandering and not actually generally big fans of the sports in the cities they cover. And so uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I don't want those handed to them. But yeah, I I I would be totally on board with saying you know what there was no World Series champion in 2017. And you know why? Because the Astros are cheaters, you know, and have that big old asterisk in the record books. Uh, but I also don't necessarily think that would do any good either. Really, the only practical impact of that would be, hey, Astros, you have to take down a banner. But the fact is, from now until the end of time, just like when you talk about the 1919 World Series, nobody thinks, oh, the Reds won that thing fair and square. You know, people are go- going to, for as long as baseball's around, People are going to associate the 2017 World Series with the Astros being cheaters. And so, yes, they won the World Series, but, uh, you know, they they got their moment in the sun, but they don't get the lasting legacy because of how they did it. And I think that's almost as good as vacating the title. Um, I, I wouldn't be upset at all if they did vacate the title, but I don't know how necessary it is. It reminds me of the years when Barry Bonds was setting all those records. And everybody's saying now that, you know, the cream came out and all the accusations about Barry Bonds, there should be an asterisk next to his record. In this case, we we know a little bit about Bonds, but he was never found guilty of anything, never suspended for anything. We know full well the Astros did. And to me, this makes it even more legitimate to say, Yes, the asterisk actually is as cliche as it has become now is legitimate. And with all that in mind, I got to think that I got to hope this prevents other garbage in the future, but I don't think it will. <laughs> They'll find some other way to try and cheat. Yeah, I think it'll prevent team-wide cheating. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there will always be individuals who are willing to cheat. Maybe a couple guys on a team working together, but I don't think. I don't think there's much chance that we'll have a team-wide scheme like this going forward. doesn't mean we won't find out about other teams that have already done it in the past. You know, they're still investigating the Red Sox. Uh, you know, there's a few teams that it wouldn't surprise me if they had some sort of illegal cheating going on. Um, but I, I don't think it was as widespread as Astros fans try to make you say think. You know, they say everybody does it. Well, th- that's not true. Um I, I yeah. if we find out that every team was cheating, that there's nobody in Major League Baseball with a moral compass enough to believe in following the rules, that's probably the end of me as a baseball fan. 
Um, I, I just don't believe it's going to come to that. I, I think this was isolated to a few teams, you know, and, and you know, peer pressure is a real thing. If Carlos Beltran is your teammate and he's saying, guys, this is my 20th year in the league and this is how to do it. We, we got to do this, you know, a young guy. Yeah. Might follow along with that. Um, doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it excusable. Um, but I think that it's more a case of that than a case of everybody just has no regard for the rules. Well, in, in the case of, well, honestly, I say if this was widespread, I think we would have heard more by now. It's been focused on basically the Red Sox and the Astros this whole time. And um, this will be the Red Sox second offense, by the way, because they were the reason why MLB put down the 2017 ruling. They're they're probably going to get hit as hard, almost as hard as the Astros did. I have to think that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's crazy that it happened, but um, yeah, the Red Sox. I I don't know if they will hit any of their players because I don't know if they had to promise any Red Sox players immunity. I don't know. We don't really know the details of what the Red Sox did. You know from from what we can tell, the actual action wasn't as egregious as what the Astros did, um, but it was still illegal. And like you said, it's their second offense. And so, you know, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see because the Red Sox have already fired the general manager who was general manager of that team. Um, the They've already fired their manager. And so, I don't know, will they go through the step of saying, Dave Dombrowski, I know you don't have a job, but also you're suspended. Uh, I don't know. You know, that that would be a big hit to his Hall of Fame <laughs> candidacy that he looked like a surefire Hall of Famer. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Red Sox. I mean, for some reason, I have a hard time believing that Dombrowski knew. He was a kind of a... That, I mean, that would have been something we have found throughout his career, and they really haven't found something like that in his career. Yeah, and around too long. Although you know, knowing and being on board with it are different things, you know. And uh, and I think Manfred's point is, you should know if you're the general manager, you should know these things. It's it's your responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen, whether you know about it or not, whether you're involved with it or not. It's you know the buck has to stop somewhere. And I think Manfred's point is, it stops at management. You know, I don't know why that doesn't extend to ownership. Why? Jim Crane gets a pass and John Henry is going to get a pass or whoever owns the Red Sox these days. But, um, you know, but Manfred seems to be saying the manager and the general manager are the guys who have the responsibility to make sure this doesn't happen. But going back to another point you made, you know, that uh, not believing it's too widespread, you know, Mike Fires has played for at least four different teams that I can think of. Uh, He only fingered the Astros. Trevor Plouffe has been outspoken. He played for a few teams. You know, there, there's been a lot of guys who've played for multiple teams. Trevor Bauer has played for three teams. He's been outspoken about it. Um, you know, and so it, I have to think it would be really crazy and mm-hmm. stupid of these guys to be speaking out if their teams had done the same thing. You know, yeah. the fact is, as much as Astros fans want to say everybody does it, the only two teams that we have any evidence of are the Astros and the Red Sox. You know, and... And we might find out about one or two more teams, but I really don't think there's any chance that this was super widespread. I just remember last year when the whole Skaggs thing happened, and 
Then the follow-up with LaCroix at home plate for the Angels, and the Astros fans were awful about it. You know, especially some of their media. Adam Clanton down there was awful about it. And so we, we got our taste of it last year, and it left a real bad taste in my mouth. It was a, a real good guy down there. Patrick McClellan was like the only one who, who was pretty sensitive to the whole thing and fair with us. And then, of course, Adam Clanton down there, and their media. It was just, man, my gosh, it was ridiculous. Not from the deal with them. It's not the same. It's not. But, hey, listen, Jeff. We haven't talked anything about this year's Dodgers yet, and I know it hasn't been the world's best offseason for you guys in terms of getting the guys you want. Can you break it down? Where are the Dodgers right now heading into 2020? Well, I mean, the main thing to remember is the Dodgers won 106 games last year, and so they didn't come into this offseason with a lot of needs. Um, they, they came into the offseason open to making changes. Uh, and when you get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs like they did, you know, they, there's some frustration there. Um, but they didn't come in with any glaring holes. I mean, their biggest weakness was probably their bullpen. And the bullpen is the hardest thing to build because, you know, relievers are so volatile. A guy can be good one year and bad the next year. And, you know, you, it's it's impossible to really know who's going to be a good reliever next year. Um, and they have, I mean, they signed uh, Blake Trinan, who as recently as 2018 was maybe the best reliever in baseball. Uh, so that's a big deal. They signed Jimmy Nelson, who uh, has a whole lot of upside, whether it's as a starter or as a reliever. So, I mean, they addressed those things. They re-signed Alex Wood to kind of get some innings from their rotation. But a lot, a lot of it's going to come down to, I mean, they lost Hunjin Ryu, who was their best pitcher last year. Uh, and they lost Rich Hill, who was very good when he was healthy. And so the, the big question is whether they're starting pitching the, their young guys, how, how well they do. Uh, the good news is the Dodgers still have a pretty weak division, and that gives them a lot of flexibility to say, you know what, we don't have to address these things right now in the offseason. I, I still think there's a chance they trade for Mookie Betts, um, I, I, especially with Cora getting fired. And, you know, if, if the Red Sox decide, you know what, we're, we're just screwed for 2020 anyway, you know, maybe the Dodgers do trade for Mookie Betts, and that would – that would turn this from a lackluster offseason to a blockbuster offseason. Uh, but even if they don't do anything else in the offseason, they have until July to figure out what they need and who they want to trade for and and go get it. You know, Do I wish they had gotten Rendon instead of you guys did? Yeah, that would have been awesome. I lot. Do I wish Garrett Cole had been interested in playing for them instead of just interested in using them to drive up the price for the Yankees. Yeah. I would have loved to have Garrett Cole. I've been on the Garrett Cole train for three years, four years. Uh, but you know, the fact is uh, if they had signed Rendon, they would have had to move guys around position wise, probably had Gavin Lux playing the outfield because they don't actually have room for a third baseman. Uh, but they would obviously you make room if Garrett, if Anthony Rendon is available. Uh, if they, when they were talking about trading for Francisco Lindor, yeah, you make room if you get, can get Lindor, you you move other guys around. Uh, but they didn't really have a need. Now Betts, uh, they could just plug him in where AJ Pollock played last year, and you know you go from a 106 win team, and then you trade AJ Pollock's bat for Mookie Betts's bat. You know that's an improvement. Even you know even if you lose your pitchers, you know it, it's a there's a lot of stuff that they can do, and they have time to do it. So while the offseason has been less than we might have hoped for, uh, it, I'm not too worried about it at this point. Talk about the pitching, though. You just lost, You mentioned two arms gone now. I don't understand um, 
Well, I have a theory, and it's been one I've been sticking with it, that you have to be categorically insane at this point to give Ryu a four-year deal, and the Blue Jays did. I'm pretty well convinced that's why the Dodgers pretty much didn't do much to respond to him at all. Is that the case? Because that's how I was thinking. You know, they were talking about the Angels going and getting him, and I'm thinking, uh, uh, that's bananas. He'll get Ryu at four years. Yeah. Is that why he's gone? Yeah, I, I love Ryu, but yeah, the Dodgers weren't going to give him four years. That's the same reason they didn't re-sign Zach Greinke after 2015, because uh, there was somebody willing to give him seven years, you know? And as good as Zach Greinke is, the Dodgers didn't want to be paying him $35 bucks when he's 38 years old. You know, and... Same with Ryu. He's going to be, you know, what, 37 or 38 by the time his contract is up. He has a pretty lengthy injury history. And for me, the big thing is he has such a razor-thin margin of error because he doesn't have overpowering stuff. His 100% of his success comes down to his command of multiple pitches. And that's something that could go away, whether it's, you know, he's not exactly the... Uh, uh, poster boy for physical fitness. Uh, he's he's a very good athlete, but he's a guy you could see looking like Bartolo Colon in a few years. Uh, you know, and and obviously that didn't stop Bartolo Colon from having good command. But you know, anything like that can mess with your command. He has injury history, so uh, I I <laughs> I would have loved to have Ryu back for a year or two, but once it became clear that he was getting four years. It was just a foregone conclusion that he wasn't coming back to the Dodgers. That was the argument we had on our side, too. I was open for a one-year, a two-year, with a third-year option. I wouldn't, wasn't going to go four. That's what I was arguing for, arguing against on online. And it seems like both L.A. teams were very much on the same wavelength there. Why's it been Toronto? Yeah. yeah, and the fact is, I'm happy for him. I mean, he earned his four-year contract. Uh, he he deserves it, even though I'm glad it's not my team that gave it to him because I don't think he will live up to it. But I mean, he was he was one of the best pitchers in baseball last year, and so good for him. I'm glad he got his big deal. I like him a lot, and I'm glad that he just got rich and you know has some job security. Uh, but I'm not heartbroken that it's not the Dodgers. Well, last question here: the rest of the pitching you mentioned it as as. Something that's kind of taken a hit here. This young pitching staff that you have coming up behind these guys who are gone, and I know folks have been all over Clayshaw for a while now. How do you feel about the staff? What potential is there for these guys to step in there and be great? I mean, there's a ton of potential. Uh, it's just a question of if it happens in 2020 or not. Um, I mean, Walker Bueller is on the cusp of being one of the best pitchers in baseball. Last year at times, he, he had like five or six games that just sucked. And the rest of the time, he was lights out. He was a dominant starting pitcher. Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me even a tiny bit if Walker Buehler wins the Cy Young Award in 2020. You know, and that's a good place to start from. Kershaw, for all his postseason struggles and whatever, and for his diminished stuff, he was really good last year. Um, if he's your number two starter, he's you know one of the best number two starters in baseball still. Uh, you know, even though it's different than what it was when he was at his peak, he's still really really good. And then you've got a lot of young guys. You have Julio Urias. You have Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin. Those guys are kind of the starters of the future. 
And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many innings they get. You know, you have to assume that May and Gonson will probably be on some sort of innings limit. Uh, Julio, I don't know if he'll be on an innings limit, but I also don't know how healthy he'll be. Uh, and then you've got guys like Alex Wood and Ross Stripling and Kent Maeda, who are uh, really good back-end starters who can eat some innings for you. And, you know, it, it's they definitely have the depth. That's always been a Dodgers thing the last several years is depth. And when it comes to starting pitching, they've got eight or nine valid starting pitchers on their roster right now. And so the question is, in some ways, is going to be how are they how are they going to get innings for all of them? Um, I thought it was interesting with Alex Wood's contract. I don't know if you saw the incentives, um, but they put starts and relief appearances that last at least three innings and start in the third inning or sooner. They lump them together for his incentives. So almost like they are thinking about using an opener or doing piggyback starts or you know a, a couple little options they might be doing. Uh, but I, I think I think it'll be really interesting to see how the young guys step up and how much the the older guys have to have to take charge at the back end of the rotation. I'm just kind of shaking my head. I realized I was it's getting late here and getting a little tired. I said I called him Clay Shots, Clayton Kershaw, folks. Come on, you all know the name. I messed that. I knew what you meant. Jeez, oh Pete, getting late. Anyways, I said last question. I lied. Here's your last question. Good. Where did Dodgers finish? In 2020, where are you going to predict it? I mean, they're absolutely going to win the West, the NL West. Um, the, and and the, the question is, what do they, you know, how do the young guys step up and what do they do in July to address any needs they have? And they have one of the best farm systems in baseball. I think they're going to go out and get what they need. And, uh, I mean, I expect the Dodgers to win about 100 games in 2020. And to contend for the World Series title again. Um, I think they are, on paper, the best team in the National League. Uh, and, I mean, we saw the last two times we talked what on paper means. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. the Dodgers were better than the Angels on paper last year. And that didn't work out. You know, anybody can beat anybody in a, in a short series. But uh, it's hard for me to see any other team in the National League West being within 15 games of them at the end of the regular season. And... And then from there, it's just a matter of getting hot at the right time and all those things. And, you know, um, I'm an optimist by nature. And so uh, I'm going to assume they're going to win the World Series until I'm proven wrong, like I have been the last 31 years. So, uh, you know, this, <laughs> this is our year. All right. Jeff, we'll talk again this season at least once, probably twice. Can you give us the lowdown where we can find you, where we can find Baseball Essentials, all that jazz? Yep, baseballessential.com is the website. Uh, I don't write there as much as I would like to. I do more editing and running it. Um, I'm on Twitter at Snydog, S-N-I-D-O-G. Uh, so, yeah, I, I talk Dodgers a lot there and just general baseball. Uh, I do the podcast Locked on Dodgers with my buddy Vince. Uh, we're on Twitter at Locked on Dodgers, so you can find us there. And uh, I think that's mostly it. All right. Well, Jeff, as always, great conversation. Look forward to talking again soon, and take care. Anytime, Derek. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So there you have it. There is the big thing. All three teams of where they were at the time of when this tr- these trades, this barrage of trades came down, Dodgers, Twins, Red Sox, and of course, who else involved? Yes, your Los Angeles Angels. We have our thoughts on the trade. 
we're going to talk about this weekend with John and Brock and really give you the layout, the layout of it. And Jeff will be back as well to give his now post-trade thoughts as to how this is going to go all with Mookie Betts this year, maybe for the future. And, you know, how, how the Angels benefit here with Jock Peterson and apparently Ross Stripling. So we'll talk to you about that. I can give you my thoughts right now. I think the Angels did pretty good. If the word is true... And we're still waiting. If the word is true, though, that they didn't give up give up any of their top prospects, this is a good deal. It's a good deal for them. Does it mean that they get off scot free? I don't like losing Renhefo. I do not like that. I liked him a lot. I liked him as a potential future star in that lineup. I know that some people were down on him, thought he didn't field as well, and that's true. He's a young guy is called early. He showed some pop in that bat, and I'm not happy about that. I'm. I'm waiting to see who the other prospect is. We'll see. We'll see. We're going to find out real soon. All right, folks. There's, so there you go. There's the layout for you. There is the entire three-team package outside the Angels. And then this Sunday, we'll finish this kind of mega episode. We'll bring the Angels into it. And we'll talk to Locked On Dodgers again, Jeff Snyder. Before we go... Don't forget, we are looking for sponsors for the 2020 season. We are in desperate need of a little bit of advertising help to get our show going for the new season. Basically, I don't want to have to go sleep out in the garage. So, hey, hook us up. If you're interested in advertising with us, we have a growing audience. This audience has grown dramatically over the course of less than a year, and we're happy to share the numbers to go with that. Okay, You can email us at talkinghandles.gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. And, hey, we'll leave the lights on for you. Also, you can find us on Twitter at Talkin' Halos. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com, and then just search in Talkin' Halos. There's also a Talkin' Halos group as well where we just post our stuff in there and also engage the fans. You can find all of our guys on social media. Brock Davis is a BD Rocks 8. Jared Timms, well, he took some heat this week. He had Jared underscore Timms. John Crane. Is that Jags Crane John? And me, Derek C. Apollo. I'm at DC Apollo. All of us on Twitter. Come check it out. All right. So, one more thing. In case you didn't notice in the beginning, we're part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Make sure you go check all of their podcasts out. They have a wide variety. It's a growing network and it's well worth your time to go check out the different podcasts they have. And you can find all of our podcasts anywhere podcasts can be found. So, we'll talk this weekend. This is Derek C. Apollo for. The entire team here talking to Halos. We're out of here. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of the lake is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. 
And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.